Well, good morning. morning. Great to see everybody this morning. Uh, Join me in a prayer. Holy and gracious God, we just humbly come before you. We ask that uh, you would keep all of your promises to us, and one of which is that you say that we're two or more gathered in your name, you would be present, so we know you're here with us. And we just pray, Lord, that your spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and that my words would be your words, that you would use the fan and fuel the flame of truth before us, so that you might illuminate our hearts and our souls and our minds with your truth. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All righty, so school's getting ready to start again, right? All right. <laughs> all the adults say yay, the kids say nay. <laughs> um, school starting when it's starting right now really makes an interesting tie-in to, today we're going to look at First Thessalonians, and there's a really great tie-in. And uh, I want to start it off in this way, that when I was in school, I would get report cards, Right? And there were actual cards that we took home, and I had to get my parents to sign it and take it back. I don't think, uh, probably you do something on the computer now, I don't know. And uh, I would get, you know, math, science, history, social studies, etc. And I would get either A, a B, a C, a D, or an F. Um, when I was re- real little, I, I, I made a bad grade, and I got an F. And one of my friends said, well, you can change it, you know, and that way your parents won't know. And so then I got in really big trouble because I brought home an E. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a choir was hard. <laughs> um, anyway, just kidding, that didn't really happen. Um, so anyway, I'd get grades, and I'd get these grades, but there was another part of the report card, it was my conduct. All right? In conduct, you either got a satisfactory or unsatisfactory or needs improvement. Now here's the thing, in my family, when it came to conduct, there was one, only one acceptable score in conduct. And that's satisfactory. Everything else is unsatisfactory. Any, anything else was less than acceptable in my house, okay? Didn't matter if I made all A's, got one unsatisfactory, it was like I didn't make any A's, okay? And so I want to stop and talk about conduct because that's what Paul's letter talks a lot about. And I want to talk about conduct, but before we talk, get too far, I want to talk about why my parents were kind of on me about my conduct. And one thing for sure is that if my conduct was appropriate, there was a pretty good chance that my scores in my course study would also be better. In other words, my conduct set up an environment where success was more likely to happen, okay? But I thought, okay, if I made all A's and I got one little unsatisfactory, why is that such a big deal? I got all A's. And so I thought, great place to go was let's ask a teacher why conduct is so important. So Sarah, would you mind... The question is, I made all A's, and I got one unsatisfactory. Why is that such a big deal to my parents? Okay, so. Oh, is it on? They're going to turn me on. All right, now I'm on. Okay, so conduct. So why do teachers think that conduct is so important? Well, the conduct grade in elementary school is based on a few things. It's based on how good of a listener you are in school. It's based on off-task behavior. So if you are fidget spinning it up, your conduct grade is probably going to be a little bit lower, right? It is about making sure that you are completing assignments, Uh, but one of the bigger parts in conduct is respect. So it is respect of your teacher who is giving the instruction, and it's also respect of the others in your classroom and how you're treating them. Uh, So I know as a teacher, respect was huge in my classroom, and if you weren't respectful to me, 
or to the others in your classroom and the learning that was taking place, your conduct grade was not going to be where it needed to be. And we would be having a conversation with your parents about your behavior. And I always remembered as a child growing up, my parents always told me before we walked into any venue, any person's house, remember who you are and do not embarrass me. And so I would talk to my students about the fact that your parents do not want to be embarrassed, so be respectful. So that's what conduct grades are about. And so I know that David's parents were probably seen and unsatisfactory, and that meant that in some regards he was being disrespectful to the learning that was happening in that classroom. Awesome. Respect is a huge part of it, okay? Again, for sure, my conduct was a precursor to me doing well in class. And respect is part of that. And I have a couple other ideas here, and I talked to some other people about it. And I want to talk to another educator, my buddy Kenny. Yes, you, you have a teaching spirit. <laughs> and the question is, why? I made all A's. I got one simple unsatisfactory. What's the big deal with that? Uh-oh. <laughs> I got all A's. I, I, I hear you, and I feel you. But I think your parents are looking for perfection. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so what you're, what you're telling me is that... So, so what, yeah. <laughs> but what you're telling me is that God says, I am holy, therefore you be holy. God says, I'm perfect, and I expect perfection from you also. Mm. I got one other person I want to talk to. <laughs> Sylvia. My parents, I got all A's. One unsatisfactory. And they're on my case. Why would that be? It did happen in sixth grade to me. Uh, and I was being rude to other students, not the teacher. So my dad said, that's not how you were raised. That's not who we are. You represent me, and this will never happen again. Because I'm a reflection of my family. And if I'm doing things at school that I'm not allowed to do at home, what am I doing? And if I'm doing things out in public that my parents would never approve of, what am I doing? Um, we'll, we'll pass over my dad, okay? <laughs> we, we don't need his comments. All right, so as I said, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians is kind of a conduct report. And um, there's a lot to look at in this letter, but I really want to hone in on one particular place. And in my outline, we're going to skip forward to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. And if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to join along in, in reading this also. And again, we're looking at conduct. And so let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, let's skip down until chapter 2, verse 10. I'm going to pass over that first part of my outline in the interest of time. There we go. You are witnesses, and God also. Think about what we talked about just a moment ago, why my parents were concerned about my conduct. Who is witnessing here? It's the Thessalonians and God. Okay? Now let's talk about what they're witnessing. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. So this is Paul, he's writing the letter, he's in Corinth, and he, he'd previously been in Thessalonica, and he was there for about a month, 
and the church started, and there was a really cool thing going on in this church, but the church had a lot of pressure from the outside saying, hey, this guy, Paul's a fraud. You know, you can't go with him. What you guys are doing is wrong. You need to come back to the right way. And Paul's writing this letter to them, and he's appealing to them, and he's talking to them about conduct. But notice where he starts first. Whose conduct does he mention first? His own conduct. Writing with him is also Silas and Timothy, which are his kind of buddies, running mates, and they're writing this letter together, and they're talking about their behavior towards the Thessalonians, okay? Their conduct. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And that's where I kind of want to go start from now, okay? So the first question is, in terms of witnessing, what is it that you and I are witnessing into who? Let's look at 1 Corinthians, I mean, sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, just that particular verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, just that one verse. There you go. You are witnesses. In other words, I could say to you guys, you are witnesses, as well as God, of my conduct. And the question is, what are you seeing? Paul describes it, holy and righteous and blameless. These are three really big words, and if you've heard me speak before, I bring those words up. And it's really interesting what it talks about here. Because when we talk about holy and righteous and blameless, the first thing we know for sure is that God has called each one of us. He's chosen each one of us to be his representatives out into this world we live in, and people witness what we do. And therefore, it would be nice if our conduct was holy and righteous and blameless, was respectful and reflected our family, and was perfect, okay, because that's the expectation. Paul's not declaring moral righteousness here. He's not saying I'm perfect, but he is saying that my conduct is increasingly getting better. That I'm becoming more holy, I'm becoming more righteous, and I'm becoming more blameless. If you and I are going to be God's tools into this world to reach out to people in the darkness, our lives should reflect something different. Something different than what's going on in the world. We should be asking people to join something that is in the light, not something that looks like the rest of the world. And notice here, it's our conduct that speaks louder than our words. What you witness in my behavior and my conduct is more important than my words. All right. As I said, Paul's not claiming moral perfection here, but he is claiming a very high standard and that he's living in it and increasingly growing in it. And it's not surprising because if God is in my life and the Holy Spirit is in me, there should be something going on, right? Something different. Something should be changing. Let's look at Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. To those who love God are called according to his purpose. God causes all things to work for the good. And we use that phrase a lot, right? I mean, maybe you've heard somebody say it. Maybe you can say it yourself. But really important is the next part. What is the good that God is causing in my life? In verse 29, 
For those whom he foreknew, us, who he chose before the beginning of time, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And the point is that the good that God is doing in our lives is that he's conforming us to the image of his Son, who is perfect. And so therefore, God in my life, you should be seeing some changes going on. You should be seeing some growth, some maturing. I mean, going back to the report card, if I'm in high school and I'm still conducting myself like I did in kindergarten, what is that? People make fun of me, right? And nobody would want to be around me because I'm still eating paste, pulling people's hair, you know, trying to color in the lines. There's a mature factor and there's a growth factor that occurs when God is moving in my life. Let's also look at Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So God has put these things in front of me that he wants to do through me and in me for me to walk in them. But my conduct matters. So I want to break down these words of holy and righteous and blameless, what that looks like. And, and again, you've probably heard me use those words even. And the word holy is the illustration would be if there was a circle and we were in the circle and God has pulled us out and set us apart. That's what that means. And that's what God has done in each one of our lives. He's pulled us out of the crowd and set us apart for himself. He set us apart. But this is holy conduct, okay? This is not just that God has set me apart. This is how I conduct myself in this holy thing. And... What my holy conduct is, is when I'm saying no to what's going on over here because I'm holy and set apart. Let's look at Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Here's the culture. God has pulled us out. Are we going to keep doing these things? Or are we going to be set apart? And it's about saying no to these things. An example I want to give you is, is a friend of mine, Ryan. Uh, Ryan's a great guy. Went to A&M, played football for A&M as a Navy SEAL. Ryan became a very high-powered executive for a well-known corporation here in Houston that's headquartered here, that if I mention the name, you would know him, but the name's not important. And he was a very high-powered executive. And Ryan went to a Christmas party at the CEO of that well-known corporately traded company. And uh, at the Christmas party in this big, huge mansion, he and his wife were there, and this, the executive invited them to look at the house, because they've got artwork and all this elaborate stuff. And uh, so he and his wife are walking around the house, and they come to a room, and there's a room, and there's a group of people in the room, and in that room they're doing something, and he looks in, and what are they doing? And the people in the room are watching pornography. He grabs his wife and he says, come on, we're leaving. What was the message? What was his conduct? And Again, he's an executive in this company. What was the message that he gave? And it wasn't a message of you guys are bad. The message was, this is my wife, I protect her, and we don't participate in this kind of stuff. We say no to that stuff. Holy conduct. Now righteousness, we could go back to Abraham, and you remember God comes to Abraham, says, what can I do for you, Abraham? And Abraham says, you can't do anything for me, God, I don't have any kids. Who's gonna get my inheritance? And God says, let's go outside and look at the stars. And if you could count them, Abraham, that's how many kids you're going to have. 
And Abraham believed God, trusted him, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But this is righteous conduct, okay? So when Paul talks about righteous conduct, that's when we say yes to God, we obey his norms of right and wrong, and we put ourselves under his judgment. In other words, it's the obedient part of our relationship with God, okay? Let's look at Luke 6.46. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. There you go. This is Jesus speaking. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? Righteous conduct is about saying yes to Jesus and what it is that he would have us do, okay? So here's an example of righteous conduct. Um, I'm kind of picking on my buddy Ian. A while ago, Ian, um, you may have seen there was a while, Ian had, was bringing a young lady in here, and they were seeing each other and doing things together. Uh, and Ian decided that he wanted to go camping because he likes the outdoors. And they were going to go camping, and they were going to have separate tents. Okay? Now, admittedly, he had some good uh, counsel around him. But guess what Ian did? He still went camping with this young lady, but he invited his dad to go with him. And Ian and his dad stayed in one tent, as I understood, or maybe something worked out. But anyway, the point is that Ian took his dad with him. See, that's righteous conduct. He's respecting God's daughter. He's submitting himself to the authority around him who said, hey, you can't go on this deal by y'all two alone. That's righteous conduct. And it's interesting, when, when, when I see and know about my friend Ryan and I witness these things with Ian, it's encouraging to me, right? It's strengthening to me. Because like Sarah said, my behavior, my conduct is affecting the people around me. The last word is blameless. And what differentiates us Christians from the people that are in this, in this circle, when we talk about blameless, it means we're not selfish. And when Paul says, I'm not, I am blameless, what he's saying is that no one can justly cast blame on my conduct or even my heart. No one, could, no one could justly say I'm a selfish person is what Paul is saying. Let's look at Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Remember what Kenny said? Yeah, you made all A's, but if you're selfish, who cares? I'll give you an example of one of my favorite unselfish conduct acts was um, my grandfather, when he was older, he lived to be 89, and when he was in his 80s, he had to have surgery. Younger man had heart bypass surgery, and back then they used to take veins from your leg to replace the ones in your heart. And therefore, as he outlived what doctors had predicted, he had this incredible pain in his legs because the circulation couldn't occur. So at a very late age, like 85 years old, they have to go in and put like some stents or bypasses so that he can blood flow to release the pain. He went in the hospital, he had the surgery, and he was in severe pain, and I stayed with him overnight. And he was in incredible pain. He was, oh, he was moaning, he was, oh my goodness. And, this is my, my mom's dad, so this is on my Mexican side. And he, oh, my goodness, oh, he's just moaning and moaning and moaning. He's moaning. He never cursed once, which was amazing to me because I, I wanted to curse for him. I, mean, I knew what kind of pain he was in. 
And it, and it was so amazing because you know how the nurses come in every so often to check on you and what have you? The nurse walks in, and he's in pain. Oh, he's, he's moaning and groaning. I mean, for hours and hours and hours, he's moaning. He's, he's just crying and he's moaning. And the nurse comes in and says, are you okay? And he said, can you get my grandson something to eat? <laughs> I mean, he was thinking of me in his pain. It was such an unselfish act. And um, when we talk about being blameless, that means not being selfish. All right, so we go back to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. And uh, um, let's put verse 12 up there if you don't mind. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. Cool. We exhorted each one of you, encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And the question is, what's God's kingdom and God's glory? Because we've been called into this. Now, when we talk about God's kingdom, this is not like an earthly kingdom. This is not like um, King Arthur's and the Round Table. This is not like Robin Hood. This is not like Game of Thrones. This is a totally different kingdom. Because this is a kingdom that God has created. And in God's created kingdom, love is the ruling factor. Now, God is a dictator for sure. I mean, his rule is prime, but he's a benevolent dictator. And in God's kingdom, he rules and he lives, and his rule is final. But the kingdom that God has called you and I into, and what he's called us into, and by the way, we're not even members of the family, so he's adopting us into his kingdom. God has called us to inherit and partake of God's kingdom and God's glory and to share in the rule of God's kingdom. In other words, God has called us into his kingdom and therefore, each one of you here, you are either a king or a queen in God's kingdom. And he's called you and I to rule in that kingdom. And the amazing thing is, there are no... Slaves in God's kingdom. There are no, these, better, these people are better than those in God's kingdom. There are no fighting over, well, I need to make my kingdom bigger. There are no paupers. Everyone is either a king or a queen. And we're called to rule in that kingdom. And so that means you have authority. And I believe my conduct is paramount to my having success in ruling in the same way that my conduct gives me a better probability of doing well in my coursework my conduct precedes my ability to have success in ruling okay but the other thing Paul says in this text is walk in a manner worthy of the calling and I've always struggled with that because I'm like oh wow this kind of goes back to what Kenny said. Walking a man worthy of the calling, well, that's really pretty high expectation. It's not the only place where Paul has used that phrase. Let's look at Colossians 1.9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy to the Lord, worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, 
bearing fruit in good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Walk in a manner worthy. It says it again. Ephesians 4.1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let's look at Philippians 1, 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. When we talk about this worthy, walking in a manner worthy of the calling, the emphasis is on the word worthy. And it's one of weight. It's one of a scale. Can you put the picture of a scale up there? I think you have a picture of a scale back there maybe. Maybe not. There you go. So we talk about walking walk in a manner worthy of the calling. It's a, it's a word that's based on weight that's referencing us to the scale. And what it's saying is that my conduct in one pan should be balanced in the other pan of God's calling to his kingdom of me. In other words, do these two conducts match? Am I living like a king? I don't mean benefiting as a king. I mean, does my conduct reflect what a king does, how a king rules? So the weight of our walk from day to day is to be equal between the two pans. Equal with the weight that God has called us and equal with our conduct. So I can place my conduct in one pan and God's called to me in the other pan. And I don't want this. Now, I have to be careful because then I start to think, well, that sounds like, well, I, you know, I need to do something to please God. And that's not what we're saying here. Because if there was something I could do to please God, then what do I need Jesus for, right? That's not what we're suggesting. What we're suggesting is that in this calling that we have, where God has called me to be a king, my behavior should not be like this. My conduct should be differently. And it should be growing in that conduct. My balance doesn't come from me, because you remember what I said about holy, righteous, and blameless. God picked me out of the crowd and set me apart to make me holy. God is working righteousness in me by the power of his word, using the, the, the Holy Spirit by the power of his word is working righteousness in me. And the blamelessness is God working and teaching me not to be selfish. So it's God's working in me, moving me in the direction where I begin to look more like Jesus and less like me. But there's still that scale. And so at the end of the day or when those times when I begin to introspect, I introspect on the scale. Which one am I? Is my conduct tipping the scale or is there a balance? So, uh, there's a picture that I, I put in there, you can see, of my, my mom and my daughter and my grandson. Can you call that picture up, please? There we go. There's my mom and my daughter-in-law and my grandson. They were together in Colorado a uh, week before last. Um, it was a great time for my mom. And my daughter-in-law, she, you know, y'all remember there was kind of a, my, the, I'm, most of you know the story of my son and, or something of it. And my son and my daughter-in-law are both 12-step people, so they're recovering addicts. Uh, and they're a few years away removed from in their sobriety, and they've been there. 
And uh, they met in one of these meetings, which is like 101 of 12-step meetings. Don't meet another codependent drug addict, but they did. And uh, second thing is, you know, the next thing he did is they really complicated their lives by deciding to have a kid before they got married, um, and they didn't plan it. And then uh, they, they have been married since, but you also remember what happened last Christmas. Uh, I, don't, I haven't shown you pictures, some of you know, but last Christmas I had the privilege and the joy and the wonderful time of my life of being able to baptize my daughter-in-law. And we did that in the porch with a, buck, with a little bowl of water. Uh, my son, who was cursing God not so long ago, baptized his own son. And we baptized him at Christmas, best Christmas ever. Um, and my daughter-in-law turns out to be a really cool person too. So God's working it out. They created quite a mess, but God's working it out. Here's the cool part of this story. I don't know if you noticed, but the two knuckleheads are wearing the same shirt almost. Uh, <laughs> they didn't figure that out until they got to the airport. So I think maybe there might be some similarities there between the two. I don't know. Um, anyway, the cool part of the story is that while they were together, my daughter-in-law says to my mom, what do I need to do to be able to have the kind of relationship you have with your son? Now, if you know my mom, she's not going to spit scripture to you because she'll say, I don't really know the Bible all that well. She might pray with you if she knows you, but if you ask her to come up here and pray in front of the church, she'd be really uncomfortable. She goes to church regular, but she's not a big evangelist, if you will. But her conduct, my daughter-in-law has seen that and said, I want that for me and my son. See, our conduct speaks louder than our words. One of my favorite um, quotes is by St. Francis of Assisi where he says, go and proclaim the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Let our conduct speak louder than our words. Last thing, as I was preparing for this message this week, um, I went to a Chinese food place with my dad, and check out the fortune cookie I got. Can y'all read that? The odds of hitting your target go up dramatically when you aim at it. <laughs> so here's the thing is that our conduct does matter. So as you go about this day, you go about this week, you go about your lives, what's that pan look like? And most certainly the pan is balanced with God's love. And I'm not suggesting that you need to go out there and, and try to make God happy. That's not what we're talking about. But what we are talking about is a God who has loved us and called us out of the darkness of this world and called us to be kings and queens, to rule with him in this kingdom of love this kingdom of mercy, this kingdom of grace, and to live different lives, lives that are holy and blameless and righteous. And we do that in response to his love. And my prayer is that each of us, individually, we think about our conduct, our conduct with each other, our conduct at work, our conduct in the grocery store. What's the message that we're giving people? What's the message that they're witnessing in us? So, that's my prayer, is that we would be mindful of our conduct. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, we just do give you thanks and praise that you saw fit to call each of us out of the darkness. And now, Lord, we pray that you would sanctify us in the truth.
that we would increasingly say yes to you and no to the world, the devil, and even our own flesh. That we would increasingly become less selfish. And most of all, Lord, that when people see you, they would, sorry, when they would see us, they would see you living and growing within us. And as you pray that, Lord, we just thank you knowing that you've given us your spirit. And, and as we uh, prepare to have communion, you are going to uh, offer us even more forgiveness. So as we pray all that, we pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.